My Aunt Donna was a first grade teacher in Los Angeles County Public Schools for 42 years. And one of the things that I loved most of all as a kid is that I would get to help her set up her classroom every summer. I would join her to put the pencils out and the notebooks and the worksheets and the poster paint. And I loved all the reading books and the math problems that she would put up on the chalkboard. But when it comes to my own kid, no way. I'm not a teacher. I'm a social psychologist. I make radio programs. I don't teach kindergarten. But hey, here we are. And here on the User's Guide to Now, we offer tips and tricks to help us manage this new normal. Every episode, we speak with people who have been here before or as close as possible, and I get to ask them my most vulnerable questions with the hope that they can help all of us through this extraordinary time. Today, teaching? Me? You must be joking. Linda Stone's job is filling in the gaps when kids aren't at school. She is an on-set tutor in the city of Los Angeles. She's the teacher who was brought on by a movie or a TV studio for their school-age actors. Because by law, young actors are required to have three hours of schooling every day and for at minimum in 20-minute increments. So if that sounds like cramming and teaching between conference calls, yes, Linda has 40 years of experience with something similar. She squeezes in immunology lessons before makeup and algebra, between rehearsals, and her ABCs after emotional scenes. Her personal movie trailer is kitted out with posters and marker pens and books to make it schoolhouse-esque. And students outside of their normal education routines go there to keep up with their curricula under Linda's watch. Once production is done, they go back to school literally on the same page as the rest of their class. I want to know how and what does she do so I can make this possible for me? Um, I have to prepare and I do prepare the night before. So using my last project as an example, I had a student who was, she was a ninth grader. Uh, My student was taking geometry in addition to humanities and Spanish and um, uh, um, biology. We would uh, review work that was assigned by her school. She attends a school in New York. I'm in touch with the school teachers. Uh, They send me the work, the curriculum. I plan the lessons. If she has geometry problems, I'll work every problem out uh, so that I have it on a pad. I'll teach her the concepts. And then I have another student on the same show. Uh, She's a second grader and she demands a lot of attention as parents of elementary school kids are probably finding out. So I'll be sitting with her to make sure she stays focused and uh, does her assignments. But if the ninth grader has any questions, I can immediately go to the pad, see what the problem was uh, without taking time out to look at the problem, figure it out, explain it to her. I have it right there in front of me. So I'll read the chapters. I'll do all the assignments. So I'm familiar with it because when I'm working with a second grader, I can easily be interrupted and immediately answer whatever questions the ninth grader has. That's the same kind of preparation the parents need to do with their kids. Uh, what do you think are schools' expectations of parents at this time? Do you think that they're, that they're like the expectations that schools have of you or are they, or are they different? 
I'm not sure the schools have high expectations for the parents, but I think the parents have high expectations for themselves. And that may be what's making them lose some sleep at night. Uh, the parents, the schools are probably just happy that the parents are getting the kids there in front of the computer. Uh, and the parents expect more of themselves. I think they expect to be able to teach the kids concepts and a surprise when there's new ways of teaching. And overall, you know, if the parents teach it the way they learned it 30 years ago, it's it's not good, the worst thing that could happen. I mean, the kids will learn the concepts. They'll learn the uh, common core material when they go back to school. Overall, it's it's not going to be as much of a problem as the parents think it might be. But really, you you don't think that parents should be panicking right now. You think it's it's all going to it's all going to come out in the wash. I do not think the parents need to panic. I mean, this will come to an end. I do not think it's going to have any kind of a long-term academic impact on the kids at all. It's just one semester, but I do think kids are going to come away from this with a sense of life could get out of control and parents who always seem to have the answers and parents who always were able to resolve any problems and take care of them and protect them, that isn't the case anymore. Uh, they're, 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 they've lost that sense of total confidence in the parents being able to protect them. And I think parents need to really point out to kids, this is not the first time there's been major crises in the country. And I think it helps to go review, like, uh, during the Revolution or the Civil War or um, uh, the pandemic that took place in, uh, you know, with the Spanish flu in the uh, 1918. Uh, and just show the kids that they do come out of it. If there is an end to this. It'll be over. Uh, will be a little bit changed, but things do get back to normal and life does go on and life gets better. What should parents focus on during this time, given their limitations, but also given the, given the relationship with education? What I do feel the parents have an opportunity to do at this time is to really build up their kids' self-esteem. When kids are in a class with 20 or 30 kids and let's say they don't understand uh, regrouping and they'll ask the teacher and the teacher will explain it and then they'll ask again and then everybody around them seems to get it except them and except this one child and the teacher will explain it again but get a little bit exasperated and then just say, you know what, work on some problems or just try and figure it out or just, you know, just work it out. The teacher doesn't have enough time to spend with an individual child who's not getting a concept. The parent does, and the parent can see what areas the child is struggling with and make an attempt to really help come up with different strategies so that the child can overcome that and come away feeling pretty good about himself. I feel, especially with the kids in elementary school, if they come out of elementary school with the sense of that they can accomplish anything, they're really good at almost anything that they want to be good at, that will be a lesson that will carry them through high school and through life. And parents have that key to making that happen, but it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of patience. Another component of this whole situation is that kids are being deprived of social experiences. And I feel that that 
especially for the lower grades, the uh, high school kids, they have their phones and social media, and they're still interacting probably the same way they did before, uh, except for whatever uh, sports they're no longer playing. But uh, they have that connection on social media that the lower grade kids do not have. I think it would really be beneficial if parents contacted the parent of a child, a classmate of their child, and possibly got together and planned a lesson once a week or twice a week or an activity or brainstormed together to come up with some kind of a plan or uh, even they like a game to uh, teach long vowels to give the kids uh, 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 let them have a, a contest to find who can go around the house in 10 minutes and find as many long vowel objects that they can locate and bring back in a bag and count them together. And then the kids combined can see how many objects they found. Or um, they can do word searches with their spelling words. They can make their own word searches. The parents can take pictures of them and send them to the other child. And they can figure out the word searches that the the other one did. Um, There's just ways that parents can interact with other parents so that their kids can get that social component that's missing. Linda has an attic of school supplies and maps and games and other things that she's acquired over the years. Parents, on the other hand, we have very little. But we can make our job teaching our kids easier by seeing what we have around the house. And one of the things to add to the wish list that Linda says is a small whiteboard. Kids love working on problems on them, and it's easy to sit down next to your child and quickly write out a problem or a sentence or whatever and have them work on it there. It is Linda's most valuable tool. But the key to teaching is preparation, and that can be having a go at doing all of the assignments that arrive from my daughter's teachers for the next day over a glass of something or other after the kids go to bed, or reaching out to other parents in the class to do assignments together virtually. Whichever you choose, it is still a lot of work, and it is still the same 24 hours in the day. So what should we focus on given our time constraints and my total lack of knowledge in kindergarten curricula? To alleviate my rising panic, I consulted another expert, Anya Kamenetz. She is an author, a journalist, and education correspondent for NPR. I asked her, if I only have time to teach one thing, what should that be? Oh, that's a great question. Um, It's going to depend on your child and where they're at, okay? Um, And so, you know, and if you have a child who has, you know, an individualized education plan, for example, special education, um, you know, you're going to know more about their strength areas. But any child, I think, um, you know, they have certain areas that they're stronger on, certain areas that they're weaker on. And what you want to do is kind of spend the day um, with, you know, give a little bit of attention to that stumbling block. If it's math, if it's reading, um, that's going to, uh, you know, help them um, keep up and, and not be so far behind when they get back. For for children that are coming up to being able to read on their own, um, and so that's, you know, all the way up to third grade and beyond for some kids, I really think that that's the area to work on because reading is the gateway to learning about any subject that children want to learn. And so, I really think that that's um, a huge area that parents um, can try to spend their 
acquired time on. With math, we see from research that mathematics is really um, something that has always been taught better in school and more in school. Um, so I would yeah. I would err towards the side of reading and getting your kid to read then independently because um, that's a huge learning opportunity. And you know the keyword there is independent. I have been both um, overjoyed and dismayed by the amount of learning digital learning opportunities, the the helpful solutions that are coming from almost every angle into my inbox that at the beginning were very exciting, but now it just feels like, oh my God, what which one do I choose? And so you know, apart from making me feel a bit guilty, it also makes me panic a bit. And I'm wondering what I should be looking for that may be red flags that say avoid, 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 that mean that I can stick those emails directly in the bin. <laughs> That's a great question. And it's something I've noticed too, Alex. And and I really find it as, you know, as someone who's been in this space for a long time as well, you know, it's such a funny repetition of the same hype that we saw like in the early days of broadband when everybody mm-hmm. thought that free online resources would somehow come and, and, and change everything about education. And the truth is that, you know, education is an interaction that a person has. It's not a piece of material or a piece of content. Um, so when it comes to these kinds of resources, um, it can be so overwhelming. <laughs> I think that we can uh, you can kind of um, discount the ones that are made by you know more commercial brands and the hype that comes with them. Um, when it comes to sort of uh, interactive educational software, you know they're fine, they're good. I think a lot of schools are offering this as a supplement, or they're building off of their existing. Um, supplementary materials. Um, and that's that's fine. I mean, the, the point there is just to have a little bit of continuity. None of them is a miracle. Um, but whatever your school is using is probably fine, whether that's for literacy or for math, Dreambox, um, Achieve 3000, you know, all these different kinds of, of software. I wouldn't get too into the heavily gamified. So if there's apps that have a lot of you know, internal gamification aspects to them, a lot of chimes, a lot of stars, gold coins, um, regardless of the learning goals that are in, in those, um, the, the dynamic of them is very persuasive. And that's a little bit tricky for our kids as far as their, um, mental, um, ability to concentrate. Um, so I don't think those are so great. I think honestly, the, the, uh, the educational videos, the, the discovery channel, the PBS, um, NASA, um, things that are truly interesting to your child, uh, whatever topic it might be, uh, you're going to be more successful with those. You know, my in my house, um, the kids were really into Rick Steve, the uh, travel guy who shows you around Florence and Rome. And and that was something we had a lot of fun watching together. So honestly, the, the, qu- the key thing to remember is that a piece of educational media that creates a positive interaction between um, a child and their caregiver um, whether that's someone over video chat or someone in the room with them, if it creates that positive interaction, it's going to be positive for them. Um, and that's really what we're looking for. I've seen a lot of quick activities. I mean, the internet is full of, you know, for example, today we're going to be doing invisible ink with lemons, right? That's great. It's fantastic. Super interesting, super fun, very hands-on, very appropriate for for a kindergarten age kid. But it's also, um, it require it's very short, it's very quick. It doesn't necessarily have replayability factor. It can, but you're never sure. It's a little bit hit and miss in terms of like what they'll be interested in coming back to. I haven't seen very many 
very, very much educational media or or sort of smart media, uh, as it were, that is sustained, you know, that has a sustain that might sustain an hour and would keep them coming back for more. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you've seen out there that you're like, oh, this is great. This will this will last a week. You know, I don't think there's anything that's going to keep a five year old wrapped up in something on her own unless it's an entertainment you know, television show or could be an educational television show. And and let's not forget that there's 50 years of data that shows that Sesame Street prepares children for school just as well as preschool does. So, you know, the passive kind of lecture model of of an educational television show um, is not to be completely discounted here. Um, It's not as good as something that's interactive, but, um, you know, it's, it's there. So, to me, I would say, you know, create, you know, figure out what, how you have to husband your energies and your attention. Definitely have that time in with your kid over some kind of activity that you truly both find interesting and enjoy. And for me, that can take a wide range of things. It could be a science experiment or it could be um, just looking up answers to a question that we both have on YouTube and kind of doing a discovery, um, you know, a discovery uh, walk that way. Um, it could be just, uh, you know, um, my husband gives math problems to my daughter. So maybe you can do that once a day for 20 minutes and that's great. And they're going to learn a lot from that. And then you need to just budget your time between things that they can take in more passively, which have some educational value and honestly active play, right? So, so one thing we, we can't forget as we're looking at our kids' days is that they do need time that is unstructured to be left to their own devices without electronic devices and actually play on their own because that's something they're going to learn a lot from and we can't deny them that opportunity. Is there anything else that you think that that parents should um, should be thinking about? I, I really don't feel like this is the time to be fretting in particular about you know, um, certain educational milestones. We really want to, um, we want to maintain learning for the sake of our kids' continuity and um, the kind of social and emotional benefits that it can have, but we don't really need to worry about, uh, you know, making this some kind of super productive time. This is really, uh, you know, this is a crisis response and us teaching our kids is, is part of that crisis response. It's not some kind of like, you're supposed to be a superhuman now. Our children are learning from everything that's going on right now. And, um, you know, that can be a scary thought, but it also can be quite uh, inspiring and invigorating when I realize that, you know, my daughter learning to be patient with her little sister, learning to um, help make dinner, learning to um, plant things in the backyard or notice things around the house. These are all part of a learning process um, that is going to go on. And for those of us who might have more resources, more more education ourselves, who have books around the house. Um, we're really uh, far ahead of the starting line when it comes to creating these organic learning opportunities for our kids. So realizing that what you're doing has an inherent learning aspect to it, I think might be the first step to relieving that anxiety. Well, there's no getting out of it, people. There is no miracle technology or device that will take this responsibility away. This is hands-on. And in our case, in New York City, it's hands-on until September. But knowing that schools don't have the same expectations of us as they do of somebody like Linda Stone does provide a bit of relief. If, in the time that we have with our children, we focus on a few key skills, they will hopefully retain what they've learned up until now. However, 
Things will have to adapt and adapt dramatically if this continues. There is way too much at stake from child welfare to food poverty to income disparity to future social mobility. Parents cannot sustain this additional stress in the long term or it will have an even longer term impact on our economies. But of course, we don't know all this. So in the next episode, we come to terms with uncertainty. See you then. Thank you to my guests today, Linda Stone and Anya Kamenetz. There is plenty more information in the show notes, so please do have a look for some tips and tricks and life hacks. The User's Guide to Now is researched by Meredith Baker, sound designed by Steve Thompson, and produced and presented by me, Alex Kratoski. Thank you for listening, and stay safe in there. <laughs>